Well, turn, if you will, to Matthew chapter 6 and verse 11. Give us this day our daily bread. So the title of the sermon, straightforward that, our daily bread. Okay, our daily bread, which we find there right at the centre of what we call the Lord's Prayer. Well, it's a prayer that he had to pray. Uh, he had no debts which needed forgiving. Uh, he was not himself subject to that. This was a prayer he taught his disciples to pray. That's what it was. In this manner, therefore pray. This is how you are to pray. And there are various headlines, aren't there, in that prayer, various things that should be part and parcel of our prayer life. Every prayer is going to have entirely all of those elements, but nevertheless, that's to be somewhere within our Christian experience, our Christian prayer life. And part of that is that we pray for our daily bread, as we see it in verse 11, that we're praying for sufficiency, praying for lavish things. God may be pleased to give us more lavish things, but we begin modestly. We begin carefully in that way, thinking of sufficiency and not rushing ahead of ourselves. It's for this day, for this day. We have a day at a time, not worrying about tomorrow. We'll settle on today and its needs and and maybe its troubles. That seems to be what it's saying there. And it's our daily bread, isn't it? It's that which is going to keep us going today. We ask for it today to help us keep going today. That's what we need to be able to move forward, to be able to do the will of God. Here we are. Harvest has come around again. And, uh, well, we might, with Shakespeare, say these times are out of joint, aren't they, somewhat, with the pandemic. But in some ways, all the passing, the seasons, which captured in the Psalms, captured in some of the hymns that we've been singing, have been able, at least to speak for myself, my family, to be observed rather more closely. But as I mentioned before, and perhaps you found true too, that the, the lockdown actually got more exercise and went out more in the lockdown than I would usually do. That you made sure you used your kind of daily bit of exercise to go out and have your walk if if, if you're able to do that. Uh, and so we did. And to be able to observe spring at very close quarters, not uh, just a day here and then a couple of weeks later, a little bit there because we've been so busy doing other things. That no, we've been able to go out again for another walk, well, the next day, in fact, and just observe a little bit more how spring came. So we went into lockdown and the trees were without leaf. We're just coming to the end of winter and able to watch what often you can't watch because you're doing so many other things. But on this occasion, this year, a privileged position. And so you can see the seasons coming and passing, perhaps at closer quarters than, than usual. Well, these are the hidden blessings, aren't they, sometimes, of what we might call frowning providences. Well, my first heading, we are to ask. All right, we are to ask. That's what it's saying, isn't it? Give us. That's that's a petition. That is making a request of God. We call that a petition, don't we? We have all kinds of prayers, supplications, where you're begging for something, whereas beggars asking for something. Petitions. Well, people get petitions up, don't they, to send them to the prime minister or parliament. You sign here, your name's added. 
And when it hits 10,000 or whatever, apparently somebody somewhere has to sit up and take notice of it. There's a petition out at the moment to call for their prayer and uh, the Prime Minister may have to consider it if 10,000 of us all uh, kind of uh, had our ping on the uh, the internet and uh, signed petition now kind of thing. It's a request, isn't it? We are asking. We're asking somebody in authority, somebody who has power to make this request that we're making available to us. We have a petition here, of course, it's God. We're directing our petition, our asking to our Father in heaven, whose name is hallowed. Curious, isn't it? Then verse 11, give us this day our daily bread. Look back to verse 8. Uh, therefore, do not be like them, Gentiles, and the, the kind of hypocrite Pharisees and the way that they went about things. For your father knows the things you have need of before you ask him. Before you ask him. He already knows. Well, then wait a minute. A few verses later, and we're asking him. But he already knows. Just as so in verse 8, doesn't it? Well, so it does. Well, what's happening here then? Why, why do we have to ask for that? Which God already knows that we need. What, what's, what's happening there? Why? Why doesn't he just do it, if you will? Well, God is inviting us, isn't he, to relate to him, to know him, to understand him, that he wants us to understand him and relate to him in all aspects of life. Yes, he knows what we need. He's God. He, he knows the, the things that particularly you and I might need. But he'd have us ask him, and he'd have us relate to him, speak to him, know a bit more about him, because we'll then see how he answers those prayers. Because the way that he'll answer it may have a lesson attached, may have a pleasant surprise attached, may bring us into a fuller understanding of just how kind he is, that he may give us far more than we asked for. We're amazed. We didn't ask for all this. You got all this, and we said, "Well, that was that was wonderful," and that was God. He he knew. Yes, he did know, didn't he? He knew before I even knew that I needed all those things. And somebody said to me, "If I'd known God was going to do this, I'd have prayed for it." You know, that he gave gave far more than you'd expected, and uh, it was just beyond. And you end up thanking God. You didn't realize that he got that plan, and that that was what he was going to do. So he would have us relate to him which establishes, doesn't it, our place before God. It keeps us in that right place of worship, dependence, confession. It builds into our thinking, into our relating to him, that he's our father in heaven and that his name is hallowed. Not our name, not us. It's about him. And it keeps us in our right place. It keeps our thinking spiritual. It maintains that this is a relationship that he wants to build with us and for us to interact with him and then see how he interacts with us and how he's going to provide our daily bread and the surprises that may, as I say, delight us in that respect. Well, we note, don't we, how often um, in the Bible, New Testament, our Lord's teaching, that agriculture is a bit of a theme, isn't it? More and more people in those days were in agriculture. A bigger proportion of people were just involved in providing the daily necessities. There were fishermen, lots of fishermen, days before fishing quotas and such things. You know, the Sea of Galilee was there, and lots of people employed in that trade, and lots of people were employed in agriculture. 
shepherds watching over their flocks by night or people growing things in the ground. So the parable of the sower, right, we understand that. We, we do it ourselves. We have our own bit of ground and we go out sowing. Parable of the sower. Parable of the growing seed, how it matures and produces the blade and then the, the full head of corn in the ear. Ah, we understand that. Or the parable of the wheat and the tares. Have your field sown with wheat and then all these weeds grow up. Well, we understand that. An agricultural society. But even if we're a bit removed from the immediacy of working on the ground or having to literally grow the things ourselves, we understand it. We, we get this. We, we do understand this. Always a, a curious thing, having lived in London a fair few years, I don't think it's so true today. Uh, don't test me on it, but certainly it was true in bygone days that children who grew up in London had never seen a cow. Never understood that that's where your milk came from, that, you know, they got no further than the, the shop or the days when you had milk floats and the milk would be brought there. And well, that was it, just turned up, you know. But the actual process of where it came from, they'd never seen a cow. That was a, a whole new thing for them. I don't know when we used to take youngsters down from London to, uh, to a camp uh, down on the Sussex coast that, uh, you know, the countryside was a bit of a new phenomenon for quite a few of them and what happened there and the sounds and smells particularly. Which, uh, which they commented upon. Didn't really have much connection with it. And, uh, so, uh, perhaps less so today because they're urban farms, aren't there? And give children a chance, a bit of literal hands-on experience of, uh, uh, of what really goes on in agriculture. But we can, by and large, relate to these things. And we can relate to the fact that actually rainfall and sunshine are critical things. We're so sport. We're cushioned here. In the West, we're cushioned here. That uh, So the crops failed in one part of the world. They had a bad harvest there, never mind. We'll buy it from somewhere else. And the food flies in from wherever it flies in. And we can cushion ourselves. We have money. We can buy from somewhere else if that fails there. But of course, for the people themselves, if that's their crop failure. If that's their droughts, then it's a very, very different situation. Mentioned in, uh, in our prayers there about the areas that were affected by locusts. Almost biblical proportions. This had already begun, I think, I'm right. And then the pandemic came. And so these areas were absolutely paralyzed by this. And areas of East Africa, Kenya, other countries there to, to east of Africa, and then going across into countries like Pakistan. And devastating. And it's happening out there to somebody else, somewhere else, somehow else. But that's critical. That's, that's the day-to-day living. They don't say, well, never mind, crop failed here. We got the money, we'll buy it from somewhere else. No, this is the real hard end of it all. It needs rain. It needs protection of your crops. You don't want to get a pestilence. You don't want blight, mildew. You don't want locusts suddenly descending upon it because it's a life and death issue. And uh, we hope at least that so many gifts were sent out those parts to try and alleviate that. But uh, hopefully they found their right uh, destination. We know about ourselves, don't we? We we are in a very privileged, privileged position here, notwithstanding the facts. We also know that there are food banks and we understand people who need those food banks during this time and other times of crisis. But by and large, we expect to have our daily breads. We expect it to happen. And, well, we've had a bit more panic buying, I understand, with the 
prospects of further lockdowns or near equivalents and uh, what we saw back in March and the raiding of supermarkets again. But we recognise that's a bit exceptional. Usually people rely upon a fairly regular supply of things. And it's more an indication of just how fearful people are that uh, they've gone into panic buying mode. At least some people have with the um, reinvigorating, uh, as it were, of uh, lockdown prospect. So we have a position of privilege. Well, we know that, don't we? And we often say that when we mean it or really think about it that much. Perhaps it's debatable, but there is the fact. And so, right, we follow the maxim that's given to some to go educate yourself. And yes, to remind ourselves that all these good things rely upon some very basic, very fundamental laws of nature and the hard work of uh, people out there using whatever technology they have or just the sweat of their brow to provide the things that we rely upon and eat and enjoy. But we recognise it's a fragile world, a world that doesn't always deliver, as we've been mentioning, a world where there are impacts and where there is climate change of one kind or another from whatever originating point it comes. But places do change and become deserts or become places no longer productive. Other places, I guess, go the other direction, but not without a lot of work in irrigation and expenditure of energy to actually make them productive spaces. And we have to say in the end, yes, it's true, we are dependent upon God. We are dependent upon God We're in his hands. And all those things are in his hands. Rain and sunshine are in his hands. How the world proceeds is in his hands. So yes, we will ask him, give us this day our daily bread. We we turn it around to him. Yes, we do depend on him. And so it's right that we turn our petitions and our requests, uh, not into complaints to Sainsbury or Tesco and you know, sub the wrong thing in the uh, delivery. We didn't want this kind. We wanted that kind and can take that one back kind of thing. No, we recognize we're dependent upon God and that we will make him the focus for our thanksgiving and our humble petitions, our dependent see that we have upon him. Despite the fact we have all this infrastructure, money, and we can afford to bring things from here and there. No, we still make God our focus and humble ourselves and keep him very much in our thoughts. Second heading, bread. Bread. As simple as that, isn't it? Well, is it as simple as that? Parts of the world, we get up and understand bread, fine. And in Israel, sure, fine. In other parts of the world, it's rice. That's the basic. That's your staple. This is our daily rice, if you like, or some other thing which is the basic staple without which Things don't quite quite happen comfortably. That which you can then add other things to, and put a variety with this. But there is your basic staple. Well, we are looking, aren't we? There to be sustained, to be preserved, that we would be kept, body, soul, and spirit. We would be kept, that we would be preserved, and we therefore ask God for that basic sustenance, that bread that will do that for us. The luxury items, God adds those, we're very grateful. But no, for us actually, this this will do. This will do just fine, that we have those basic sustaining things that we need. But you can extend it, can't you? Because we could just have a 
all serving about varieties of types of bread or something like that, or list a whole load of vegetables or whatever else there. And you probably know far more about those than, than I do. But we could add, couldn't we, to the thinking here, all the things that sustain us, everything that actually constitutes for us our bread, our basics, the things that we depend upon in a very, very fundamental way. Well, we can think there. You have your own thoughts on this, but I'm going to keep them positive here. The National Health Service. The National Health Service. People are saying thank you for the NHS. They still are somewhere in their hearts saying thank you for the hard work. Many, many people, not just in COVID-19 related disciplines, but in all of it, all the departments of it, all aspects of it, all specialisms and uh, various uh, helps that, that there are. Because there's an awful lot of people, um, probably I'm looking at a fair few of them, if I look in the mirror, I probably could add myself to the list. It's very much sustained by those good old tablets there. How many or few you take in the morning, I think some of us there, it's a fair, a fair diet of the things, a fair cocktail of them that we have to take. And they keep us going. I was just talking to somebody on the way uh, here this morning, and he was saying, not been able to have the injection to his knee that will then help him along, not been able to happen for whatever reason, not quite sure. He wasn't quite sure, but it makes a difference. And he's there hobbling along and a very different sort of day that he's woken up to without the benefit of that, that injection, which gives whatever it does for however long it does, but it makes a difference. That's his daily bread, isn't it? That's something that's a pretty fundamental. That's, that's pain. And we know about pain. We're very hopeful that Lisa will be delivered from this years of pain and that the surgery will prove to be, for her, something basic, a daily bread matter here, pain-free. So we can think of, well, National Health Service. I've just put those there, but uh, in this age in which key workers are now respected for the work that they do, dustbin men, people who drive vans and do deliveries and all the rest of it, these are always going to be the kind of new heroes, the shop workers and assistants who are all... Part of it. And we should have at least some imagination in our prayers to extend out and to embrace a little bit more in what we're thinking about and what we are praying for when we say to the Lord, give us this day our daily bread. Moreover, perhaps yes, moreover, our families. A difference there for families. I appreciate some of us, it's it's not quite the same for us, but our families and the, the care and support that, that they might give, particularly as we maybe get older or whatever, in that way. And they're getting a daily bread. You know, we feel it, don't we, for all the people who are deprived of being able to meet with their children, grandchildren, and losing, because of all the restrictions at the moment, the ability to touch and hug and kiss and embrace. I'm sure some of them are out there, but anyway, at least officially, uh, they are deprived of, of these benefits, these helps, these which actually give a little bit of warmth, a little bit of sustenance, something of daily bread to existence. People are thinking about that, aren't they? Well, wait a minute. It's not just about sort of stopping people dying. What about the quality of life of those whose lives we're trying to protect? That's what are they being deprived of here? What are they missing out on here? Being able to meet with people, being able to 
to embrace people. And it's been heartbreaking. I know for some of us here, it's, it's been very difficult because the relatives, family, that we've not been able to, to help or show love towards in the way that we would like to. And that showing of love within family, within friendship, is really actually part of our daily bread. We need it. It's something that's important, something that gives quality to life that isn't an optional extra. It's a fundamental, because we're people, aren't we? We relate to people. We're social animals, and God has made us such. And to be kind of removed from that, well, we pray, give us our daily bread. And we can almost be praying in that, Lord, bring us through this present crisis that we can be back with people again. But we can also say, can't we, spiritual provision, food for the soul? Because food for the soul actually is part of us understanding the food for our body better. Because if we have food for the soul and we're taking in the word of God, hearing it right, understanding our Father in heaven, whose name is to be hallowed, whose kingdom we pray for its coming and whose will we long to see done in all the earth. It's giving us perspective. That's why it's right at the beginning. It gives perspective to everything else that follows. You're going to get forgiveness because this is the God you, you're praying to. You've got help against the devil because he's got a kingdom and it outranks the dominion of Satan. And so context. We look for our spiritual daily bread because it will actually help us appreciate the commoner things of life, common grace, the provision that we've been just thinking about, and give us a proper context in which to understand it and which will generate in us thanksgiving. Because the Bible provides for us weighty and serious thoughts. It's tragic, isn't it, that so many people, it's Mother Nature, a pandemic, that's the Mother Nature fighting back against evil man, this sort of stuff. And no, we say, no, there's a, there's a different context. God indeed may be using nature to teach us some very humbling lessons, true enough, but it's God. He, he, he's the one who organizes this. He, he runs the show. These are his laws. And if he wants to change them, alter them, tweak them in order to teach us the lesson, that's his prerogative. And with our open Bible before us, we understand that. In fact, we read it. We can see it. it gives us perspective for our bread. Final heading. The community aspect. The community aspect. We notice that it says our daily bread. It doesn't say my daily bread. It says our daily bread. It's an us. It's a we rather than an I or a me. And so built into it, there's already a lesson against selfishness. It's against selfishness. It's not a me first thing. It's us first, if you will, or us together. And so gone from it. Any thought that you're going to beg your neighbor, that I'll have my bread too bad for you if you starve, or something as base and as mean as that. This is an antidote here written into it against selfishness. And a recognition, if you extend the thinking, that we are all part of this one world. And we have decisions that impact other people. And we have to think about that and think charitably about people. Maybe think about the things we buy and where we buy them from and what it's needing of other people in other parts of the world to to have to do. Sweatshops and such things as that. It, It invites us actually to think more carefully about our daily bread, not just mine, but yours too. And are you getting enough daily bread? 
and what maybe perhaps can be done to alleviate and relieve some of the troubles perhaps that come into that. It invites us to be charitable in our thinking. And of course, especially with the Lord's people, with the Lord's people. If this is taught there to the disciples, the hour, well, it's very much, isn't it? Thinking of fellow disciples in that way. Galatians chapter 6 and in verse 10, therefore, as we have opportunity, let us do good to all, especially to those who are of the household of faith. Yes, especially to those who are of the household of faith. And then seeing it in action, 1 Corinthians chapter 16, verses 1 to 3, Paul writes to the church in Corinth, now concerning the collection for the saints, as I've given orders to the churches of Galatia, so you must do also. On the first day of the week, let each one of you lay something aside, storing up as he may prosper, that there be no collections when I come. And when I come, whomever you appoint by your letters, I will send to bear your gift to Jerusalem. So there was a famine then, and the people there were impoverished, and the Gentile world, by comparison, was doing quite nicely. And so there was going to be a kind of bit of a, an equality effect here, that the surplus in the Gentile churches was going to be used now to be a blessing to the Jerusalem churches, where there was a famine. And Paul is giving detailed instructions about how that's to be done, how it's not to be done, so that it can be done in an appropriate way, but done nevertheless. And, well, we can see, really, it's about loving our neighbour, isn't it? And especially our Christian neighbour. Let's just read Romans 13 and verses 8 to 10. Oh, no one anything except to love one another. For he who loves another has fulfilled the law. For the commandments, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not murder, you shall not steal, you shall not bear false witness, you shall not covet. And if there is any other commandment, are all summed up in this saying, namely, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. Love does no harm to a neighbor. Therefore, love is the fulfillment of the law. Well, back on the territory we've been in the last few weeks, aren't we then? Thinking about trying not to harm our neighbor as we're understanding it or being told we should understand it in the time of pandemic. But there we exercise with what we have to hand, and we're not millionaires in that way, but what we have to hand for the benefit of others, a bit like the Jerusalem people, people in famine. So, well, it's our friends in Zimbabwe, our good brother Joseph Soko, that's uh, in our thinking this time of the year, other people at Christmas, other times of the year, follow on from that. We don't forget our good friend Raj Kumar in Chennai and the work he's doing, not only in the wearily home, but also amongst the people on the streets right outside where the church is. Numbers of people that he's been unable to help and give food to, whose living has been absolutely decimated because of the lockdown. And there it is. It's life or death. They'll die, these people. Uh, they haven't got there. The wherewithal in life was pretty precarious anyway before lockdown. And similarly, we think of Zoe and her family in the Philippines, don't we? And the, the hardships there where a lockdown, uh, you don't just think, well, that's okay. I, I can manage that. So I've got my pension, whatever else I've got there. It's not, it's life and death. And uh, so we remember, give us this day our daily bread. And in that hour, well, our heart goes out. We, we correct ourselves. We discipline ourselves to think wider than just simply ourselves or our church or whatever it might be in that way. What an antidote to selfishness. And again, a bit more where we were when we were talking about one blood. Yeah, it just reinforces that, that we 
are descended, all of us, from that same stock right at the beginning of creation. It's telling us we need to have loving hearts, which doesn't always come easily to us, does it? But that's the instruction here. Give us this day our daily bread. Whoever the the hour is, whoever we're including in the we, well, it needs us to have loving hearts. Sometimes to go beyond the obvious, to go beyond the immediate. And remember, there's a big world out there and a lot of people that we need to remember more often for whom their daily bread, in a very literal sense, is a very problematic issue for them. So just some thoughts for us on this particular Sunday, our Harvest Thanksgiving Sunday, where we're very thankful God has given us our daily bread. And we think of those about us who could benefit perhaps from a little more daily bread. We finish with 826 in our hymn books, Come Ye Thankful People Come. 826.